0: Ace and see that the Lord is good, good right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. The Lord is good to us, isn't he? Yes. I just love the thought with Pastor Doug and then uh, me talking with the other Doug. It must be a Doug anointing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have the Gary anointing here. And uh, today is a Doug anointing. I just love that thought, the thinking that In my life, that the Spirit of God is sufficient enough for me. You know, in America, we have a lot, don't we? And we pray for more. And we go Christmas shopping, and what do we get? (laughs) We get more. Uh, We get a new TV, we get a new phone, we get a new car. None of these things are bad, of course. But the thought is is that we oftentimes need to recenter our life around the cross, right? And realize that for one, people are living in the world with a deeper faith than what we have and they are without, you know? So maybe through my lack, the abundance of Christ could excel, right? Which is, you know, my prayer for my life and also for you guys in this church, that the abundance of Christ will, will abound, that he will abound. So let's turn our Bibles to Psalm um, 73. And I was thinking about this. this Christmas is coming, right? Yes. How many more days, guys, do you know? 23. 23? Now oh, you guys are good at math. Not because you know, you're good at math. 24. <laughs> yeah, it's coming fast, isn't it? And before you know it, uh, And I'm talking to Brian Glass, how many of you guys know Brian Glass? Yeah. yeah. He said that as Christians we should all celebrate Hanukkah because you get to celebrate Jesus for eight days. <laughs> you know, for Christmas we celebrate for one day, it's like presents, toys, food, comatose. Komo- And then you get up and go to work the next day. (laughs) But for eight days, you're celebrating the life of Jesus, right? So it's interesting. But you think about the condition of people before Christ even came on the scene. You know, so I don't know. Like, usually we have the bookmarks and we have the theme planned out. And it's Christmas, and we should have done that. How dare we? But at the same time, you know, think about it this way. Here, we're coming up to Christmas. And thinking about the condition of people's hearts before Christ even came. I mean, the Bible tells us in the fullness of time. So we understand that in one way, the fullness of time meant that it was God's perfect timing to send Christ to the earth. And you can look at it in a historical perspective. and You can figure out that you know, the Greek language was all over the world. So, therefore, it's easy to communicate the gospel. The Roman roads made it safe and easy for the gospel to spread. And there's two other points. I forget what they were. But it's, like, amazing. Like, you can look at it this way and you can say, like, look at the condition of people and and what was going on. This is the fullness of time. But another part of the fullness of time is not only that it's the timing of God, but it's the timing that is needed inside of people's hearts. Right? So they say, you know, scholars say that during, you know, pre-Christ, that people were hungry for the Messiah. And you read about J- Jesus, and when he's on trial, and some of the Pharisees are coming up against Jesus, like, what are they talking about? I, I, I like the one part, um, uh, Acts... Well, the Pharisees are wanting to go against Jesus. Has come. He's gone. He's risen. He's ascended. He's in heaven. The disciples are are doing miracles in the name of Jesus, right? And Gamaliel, right? Is that his name? Gamelia, Gamelia, Gamelia. I think it is. He says, like, if it's a work of God, then you can't touch it but if it's not, then it will die. And then he cites two references of people who were supposed messiahs before Jesus. One was Judas, and I forget the other one. And they were both people because there was this energy, there was this spirit amongst the people where they were longing for the Messiah to come and deliver them from the Roman Empire. So Judas was one of these quote-unquote messiahs that came During this hunger, this desire for people, this movement to be against the Roman Empire, and he rose up and built a small army and went against the Roman Empire. And what happened? It was squashed. Why was it squashed? Because the Roman Empire being so strong? No, that's not why it was squashed. It was squashed because it wasn't the fullness of time yet. See, the fullness of time not only has to do with the timing, but also has to do with the delivery. Judas was close to the timing, right? But he didn't have the delivery. He came trying to deliver Israel from the Roman Empire. What did Jesus come to do? Deliver us, but not from an empire, but from our flesh. From the kingdom of darkness. Something much greater and something much darker. So I want us to think about this word tonight, this word desire. I want to look at this definition of desire. Desire is a passion that is excited by the love of God, the love of the object. Desire is a passion that is excited by the love of the object. In our case, we are, there is a passion in our life and it is excited by our love for God, right? Now look at this psalm, Psalm 73. It's a very interesting psalm because the way it starts out is not so cheerful. Verse 1, it says, But God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in hearts. Okay? Now this is an interesting phrase to me, pure in hearts. What does the Bible mean when it says pure in hearts? Because if you think about it, in the New Testament, the Bible says that there are none that are righteous, right? No, not one. Our righteousness, what we consider righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy. We can kind of put that thought with, okay, what does a pure in heart mean? And it's interesting. Look at verse two. It says, but as for me, So it's almost like Asaph here, he's the writer. He says, as for me, he's making a distinction between the pure heart and himself. Because he realizes that in himself, that he is not pure. Because he says, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, and my steps had nearly slipped. You know, Asaph is writing about his own failure. And as we read on here in a few minutes, it describes what his failure is. But it is amazing to me because he points to this and says that God is good, but he's only good to the pure in hearts. And that's what it seems like, doesn't it? We look at our lives and we say, where is the goodness of God in my life? And we could point at all the areas that we are lacking. I mean, I don't know about you, but I could point to... I don't have enough fingers on my hands to point to the things where I need God to do a miracle, <laughs> where I'm lacking. You know, finances, you know, tired, health, you know, car. You know, uh, thank you for praying for cars. <laughs> you know, just, oh, I mean, things where we are lacking and we can say, well, th- you know, you're not really lacking. You're richer than one, you know, 98% of the world. Like, yes, but I drive to Frederick three or four times a week and I need a car to get here. If I don't get here. Then I can't get here. (laughs) You know, so we point to all the things that where we are lacking and we can say, God, I thought you were good. And because you're not good, it must be because I'm not pure in heart. And I begin to recollect the areas in my life where I feel like I am stumbling and I am nearly. I love that. My feet had almost stumbled. I am stumbling. How many of you guys feel like you stumble through the week? How many times do you feel like you're stumbling through prayer or studying or or stumbling through work, stumbling through school, uh, stumbling, you know. How many of you have said, I can't wait until, I've said it a lot this past week, I can't wait until this is over. Once this is over, then I'm going to have more free time. <laughs> and then everything's going to be okay. See, that is a key right there. with with what Asaph is saying, is that you are stumbling. See, stumbling doesn't always have to do with failure, but it has to do with the insufficiency in your soul to deal with your present circumstances. And when you're tired, and you're looking for something to be over that God has given you, or maybe that you have given yourself because of your flesh desiring something, and you're saying, oh, when this is over, then I will be filled with the Spirit, or then this will happen then, that is a sign that you are stumbling through life. And God hasn't desired for us to stumble through life. Maybe we have overburdened ourselves and we are eating our own consequences from our own decisions. Not even sin. But they're our own decisions. But here, Asaph is saying that there is actually a sin in his life that is causing him to stumble and nearly slip. In verse 3 it says, "...for I was envious." I love reading about men of God who have failure in their life, especially one like envy. <laughs> Here is somebody who wrote a portion of the Bible and they are saying that there's envy in their hearts. You know, we haven't written any of the Bible, right? And I wouldn't dare to say that I am half as filled as of the spirit as Asaph was. Not like degrading myself, you know, don't take me wrong. <laughs> You know, I know that I have the Spirit of God and I am happy and He is alive, I'm a new creation. I understand that. But there are some mighty men in history, in church history, and they were they were used by God. And here is one right here, and he is saying that he is envious not of somebody that is greater than him, he is envious of somebody who is evil. Isn't that interesting? I'm reading this book right now, I think it's by John Ramirez, and the book is called um, Out of the Devil's Cauldron, so it's like a 1990s kind of movement, this uh, warlock, uh, witchcraft guy, high-ranking official in, in witchcraft, uh, gets saved, and he's talking about like these experiences that he has with Christians. And he knows he has way more authority than some of those Christians. And in the last chapter I was reading, he was with this Christian named Chris at this party. And he just prophesied over Chris to reveal his past that nobody knew about. And this Christian, his name was Chris, became afraid. He, there was fear in his heart when he met this person filled with a demon, John. Amazing. And he says, John Ramirez says in his book, that people, I I loved the power that I had over people. I loved the authority that I had over people. And here is, and the reason why I say this is, let's read on. It says, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no payings in their death. But their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men, nor are they plagued like other, man, other men. I mean, here is this evil man, John, and we could point to many other evil people in the world. And we see them on the news and we joke and we snicker about it because we know they're never, ever going to go to prison. We know that they're never going to get in trouble. And we just shrug our shoulders and we say that is the way of the world. But it could become in such a place that in our hearts, as believers, we are so dependent on what the evil people are receiving that we desire those things ourselves. We desire their authority. We desire their money. We desire their you know companies. We desire their relationships. We desire their time. We desire and you put in all these things. And we say, like, instead of us desiring God, what are we desiring? We are desiring these evil things. We are desiring these things that we want to fill our life. And the reason isn't because these things are good or bad. The reason why we desire them is because of their results. Right? Like, look at that. They, are, they have prosperity. They don't, there's no pangs in their death and their strength is firm and they have no trouble. Like how do I get there? <laughs> how do I have prosperity? How do I get rid of my trouble? <clears throat> how do I get how do I become strong? How do I get rid, how do how do I get that, God? And I get it by doing these things so I become envious in my life. But you see, this is like amazing because let's turn in our Bible. Well, we're going to stay in the same. For me, it's turn the page to verse 25. So, desire is a passion that is excited by the love of the object. So, am I excited? Is there desire? Am I excited? Is there passion and love in my life for prosperity? And I desire that. So here's the other part of desire. Desire is emotional, but it's also internal. So there's also desire is in that eternal act by which is influencing my will that makes us to proceed to an action. So if there's desire in my emotion, it goes to my will and then it drives my actions. So if I am desiring prosperity, what is it going to drive me to do in my will? Make more money. Take job offers that I shouldn't take. That takes me away from the church. Yeah. Right. I'm going to find myself being drawn away because there is desire in my heart. And that desire is stronger than the desire for God. But listen to verse 25, Psalm 73, verse 25. It says, for whom have I in heaven but you? Now listen to this next part. And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. I mean, that is an amazing verse right there. Here is Asaph, and he is seeing the wicked, and he is seeing their prosperity. He is seeing their strength. He is seeing them uh, achieve new heights and new goals that no man could ever say. And they are pointing down and saying, oh, you are a holy roller. How's your religion working for you? You know, what? where has God gotten you? What uh, What? What good has Bible college been? What good has it been being a missionary and wondering where your next meal is coming from or your next plane ticket or, or, or where you're going to sleep next? <laughs> you know, you start asking all these questions and people can say, you know, how's that working for you? You know, But a very simple answer is that my object, my desire, my passion, my love, it has changed. It has gone from the prosperity, these other objects, to a new object, and it has gone to God himself. And I love it. It says, for whom have I in heaven but you? And he's saying it this way because now God is the one, you know, Whom have I in heaven? It's like, it is alluding to the idea that there's potential for other people to be in heaven besides God in his life. Now remember, there are many gods all around Israel, right? So he is looking at these other gods, saying, okay, I tried that to get prosperity. What good did it do me? It didn't do me any good. Okay, I tried this God to get me stronger, stronger, In my life, it didn't do me any good. I got this God over here to help me get, you know, no pangs in my, in my de- death. It didn't work. Okay, got this God over here. I tried that so that way I have, would have no trouble. And that didn't work. So he's saying that I have gone through all these other things. And there's no other God that can be compared to the God, Yahweh, Amen. the God of Israel. I mean, and that's what we need to come to the conclusion in, in our life. You know, the, uh, the thing about desire is that it can be very objective. Remember from Sunday that there is a subjective word and then there's a, there is the objective word where I receive the objective word from God in my life and then God gives it to me and it becomes subjective in a good way. It becomes personal. So in the, it being personal in my life, how does it grow from that... You know, so There's that subjectivity. So I can have all the information about how awesome God is, but if it doesn't become personal or if it doesn't become subjective in a positive way, then it means nothing. So the thing connected with desire is desirability. So in my eyes, is God desirable? Well, and we could say yes in a theological way, but then... My eyes wander, don't they? I find myself seeking other things. And God says, No, 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 wait. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You could also say, Taste and see that the Lord is desirable. He is worthy of our affection. He is worthy of our praise, the song says, right? He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our passion. Being, and being the recipients of our desire. And he is worthy of our will being directed towards him. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you a question. Why is he worthy of our desire? Yeah, he's good. In the beginning of Psalm 73, it expresses how... These wicked people are doing so great. But we continue to read. Verse 6. It says, Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes balls with abundance. They have more than hearts could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walks Through the earth. Therefore, his people return here. Oh, wait a minute. There is a change right there. There is a change. Where are they returning from? They're returning from this other side where they are receiving prosperity, where they're receiving strength, where they're receiving lack of trouble, where they're not being plagued. They're receiving this, but it comes at a cost. And the psalmist read the things. Here is what they're receiving, but here is the character of the man that is pursuing these things. This is what they are like. So there's that transition. Therefore, his people return here, meaning to God. Why? Because there is something to be desired when we are with God. Isn't there? I mean, COVID has done, I've read a lot of things on what it has done to churches, Um, And it's closed some, and I thank God that some of those churches are closed, because sometimes for churches to grow, churches need to close, right? For people to grow, they need their church to close because they need to see where their faith is, okay? So sometimes when you take away the best thing in my life, it proves how hungry I am for that thing. I find myself, I, I need church you know, I, I did a foolish thing when, when we first had Elias. Elias was three months old. And I flew to China for three months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, about two months into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? <laughs> I left my wife and my son home. I left them. And I found how much I really missed them. Right? how valuable they were to me, how much I desired them. And even though I was in another place, that is the same with church. See, how come churches aren't being filled? Well, it's because there is no desire. Well, how do people get a desire? It comes by the God revealing His character and nature in a complete dark contrast to the character and nature of the world. What are we seeing happening right now? I mean, I love it. As soon as I got back from China, Obama was president. And I mean, I honestly, I loved it. Because it was very much a contrast. People believe this. And then there's these other here, and they believe this. And there was fighting, and it was terrible, yes, with Trump. People believe this, people believe this, and they were fighting against it. It was no longer where you could be, you know, like this, and oh, okay, well, that's a difference of opinion. No, it became very strong, and they were against it. It's the same thing in our Christianity today. There is a dark side of life. And people, they are living in evil. And that produces such a strong desire for people who in their hearts are not believers. But there is some purity in their hearts. Right? Where does that come from? It comes from them being created in the image of God. They are created in the image of God, and there's a desire for who God is. And they see that stark evil. They see, and they all of a sudden find themselves hungry. And what are they hungry for? We, They don't know. And we meet them on the streets. And they say, we are hungry for God. And I didn't even know it. On Saturdays, how many amazing conversations do we have? I mean, I am, I am floored at how many amazing conversations we have here in Frederick people in frederick they are hungry for god they want to be they want to be disciples they want phone calls they want people to care for them they want a welcoming hand they want a seat at your dinner table i mean people are hungry for body life they are hungry for the holy spirit they are hungry for righteousness and it is only i love it therefore his people return here this is our home guys This is where we belong. This is where we taste and see that the Lord is good. This is where we rejuvenate our desire for who God is. It comes right here amongst other believers who are hungry for the same thing. You ever go uh, grocery shopping when you're hungry? It's terrible, isn't it? You spend a ton of money and you eat half the food while you're in the grocery store. It's the same thing spiritually speaking. You know, we come here, and it, but it's a good thing, actually, when it's talk about it spiritually. We come here, and we are hungry for God, and we, as soon as we enter the doors, what are we doing? We are communing with each other. Before the Bible is even open, before we pray, before we worship, before any of this happens, there's already faith being communicated amongst the brothers and sisters of Christ. Verse 10, it says, and the waters are of a full cup are drained by them and they say how does god know and is there knowledge in the most most high behold these are the ungodly the two amazing questions that the ungodly ask how does god know and does he have any knowledge does he not know who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. Isn't that an interesting, interesting saying? I have, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. I mean he is saying that he has been righteous. <clears throat> he was honest about the money that the cashier gave him. He was honest about it just to, re- just to see it repaid with evil. What has it? What has it done to me? To be honest, it hasn't done me anything. If I had said, "I will speak thus," behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went again, mentioned the body. I love this. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Then I understood. You know, and then you, you can continue to read what he understands what's going to happen to the ungodly. Why does Asaph say this? none whom have I in heaven but you, and there is none on this earth that I desire besides you. How can his desire be towards God? Because he has seen his salvation in God. And this is like the other amazing thing. You know, John says that I love God because he first loved me. Asaph here is saying in another way, he's saying, I desired God. Why? Because he first desired me. The thing that makes God so desirable tonight, the thing that attracts us to God, is not that he is righteous. Although it's nice to have somebody who's righteous, it's not that he's constant. You can think about all the characteristics of who God is. You know, if that was who God is alone, that wouldn't have drawn us to Him, because in some ways that's no, it's, not, it's like every other God, right? They are just, they are powerful, they're. But here is a difference: is that He desires us says it again in Psalms, right? He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? That God's mind is not only for you, but God's mind is also towards you. See, God's mind is is for you, meaning like he is thinking about things in your life. He is thinking about your destination. You know, Vaughn is thinking and praying and we're, you know, Anybody asking about what is God's will for our my life the next week, <laughs> the next six months, the next year, the next five years, what is God's direction? That is what God's mind is for. It is for me, meaning that he is not against me. He is for me. God's mind is for me. And it is towards me. I mean, I mean, he is not only thinking about me, but he's also thinking about how he can edify me, how he can raise me up, how he can make a provision, how he can uh, have deliverance in my life, how he can make me, how God could make me into his image, how God could do. And this is the amazing thing is, is if my desire for God promotes my free will to act towards God, what is god doing right now if he desires me his desire is towards me meaning that he is he has passion passionate love towards me and now his free will because god does have one is not against me but it is towards me organizing and directing my life in a way that i can be successful in the spirit of god so that way when i enter into the gates of heaven what is god going to say well done, good and faithful servants. Where he can present his, his bride cleaned. Where he can present the bride who is ready. They are ready with the oil. The, the, the ten virgins, right? Five had no oil and five did. They were supposed to be ready for the bridegroom to call. And some of them weren't ready. But that is God's business in my life. That he is desiring where he is orchestrating me. He is making provisions for me in my life. So that way I can have the oil. So that way I'm ready to be received by God. You know coming here on a Thursday night is God's provision for you. This is God's mind for you and towards you. Because he desires you. Wednesday nights in Baltimore. Sunday is here. Saturday is on outreach, phone calls. God's mind is for you and towards you to bring you, and it says to an expected end, meaning God has a destination he desires for you to be in. And God's destination and God's desire for you can only be realized through his provisions. If we're not seeking and we're accepting his provisions, then where are we going to find ourselves? If we're not careful, We can have a lukewarm relationship with God where we are saved, but we are functioning like the first half of Psalm 73, where we're envious of the wicked, or maybe we are the wicked. And that is where many believers are today. They are in a place where they are envious of the wicked. Or they are the wicked. All in the name of a dollar bill. All in the name of self-promotion. All in the name. But they don't realize. I only realized it when I entered into the body of Christ. Their destination. But I also realized my own position. See in Psalm 73. It says. You know, I just want to read that. I love it. 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Like, we understand the end of those kind of decisions. We understand the end of those kind of people. But when we come into the assembly of God, what else do we understand? We understand our position. A lot of people come into church, and what do they hear? Oh, you're wicked. You're wicked. You're wicked. Oh, and over here, this is your end. Wicked end, wicked end, cause effect, cause effect. Get right with God, or this is going to be your destruction. But when we come into the assembly, what do we find? Something very different. We find the gospel of grace. Where we are, said, where we are told, you are a child of God. <laughs> where we are loved. Yes, sin is touched. Yes, we are told to go out clean. We are told to be holy. But we are first told our position in Christ and we are given the ability, which gives us a desire towards God. See, without the position in Christ, what desire can we have towards God? Because other, without our position, it's only a works program. And how exhausted are we right now? I mean, are you guys tired? I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, how exhausted are we? And we are living in grace. <coughs> Imagine how exhausted people are living in works. They don't stand a chance. (laughs) They don't stand a chance until they get a a revelation of the grace of God in their life, until they enter into a sanctuary like this and many others in the area where positional truth is taught grace in the finished work, forgiveness that we are children, that I I can fail and I can fail and I can fail and I can fail. but I just get right back up because of repentance and the grace of God because it's been nailed to a cross, it has been paid for, and it actually has no authority in my life at all because God is greater than any demon or any, any false teaching that ever existed or ever will. Yes, we desire God because He desires us. He is desirable because he is good to us. Mm-hmm. And we find that out in the assembly of God. Amen. Amen. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message. We think about our walk with you in the Bible. It has a lot to say about sanctification or discipleship or being mature. But we say it in another way tonight. We pray that you would reveal your desirability towards us. In us, Lord. That that you are desirable for us. Reveal your desirability. Show us how good you are. Not in providing trinkets in our life. Who cares in one sense about our car? Everybody has car problems. Yeah. Who cares about, you know, a bicycle or are Christmasless. Nobody does. There are real issues in our life. Deep rooted habits that need to be cleansed. Guilt that is in our conscience that needs to be cleansed, Lord. And it is only God who can do that. It is only God, reveal your goodness to us by providing the Holy Spirit deeply in us. Give us a taste To see what it's like to be in the presence of God. To experience his anointing. We pray that this Saturday will be one of those times. Where we not only experience the presence of God. But we experience his anointing as we sing as a body. And we pray that a place will be packed with people. And if it's not, we know that there's going to be that one or two or three. That we were called to witness to. And that there could be an anointing in those conversations. Let us experience that. I pray that everybody here, whoever's coming, Lord, on Saturday, and at least the one who doesn't even want to talk because they're afraid to the evangelize, give them the best conversation. Give them an anointing, Lord. We just thank you and we praise you. Thank you for this evening. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>